Amen. Lord, indeed, because of your love, we do live. And, and not only do we live physically, Lord, but more importantly, we've been born again spiritually. We're new creations in Christ because of the work your son did on our behalf at the cross of Calvary. Lord, we ask as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would speak. Lord, the words of men mean nothing, but the word of God transforms lives. And so, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would just move in every heart tonight. Begin in mind, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's great to see you. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis 49. Uh, Before we get into the text, now, we know that the Bible says that we grieve, but not as those without hope. Amen? And, you know, every day, heaven gets more and more real because more and more people I love and care about are there. And this week, we've had two uh, parts of our family here at Calvary Chapel have gone to be with the Lord, and we praise God for that. But at the same time, the Bible says we're to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Amen? And we are a family, and we should be here to comfort one another. And so on Monday... Craig Anderson went to be with the Lord, you know, Wayne and Gina right here, and his sister Lynn, and we as a body should be here to comfort you guys, and we love you guys, and, you know, because you weep, we weep with you, and we love you, and we're glad he's in heaven, amen? But at the same time, we should be a source of comfort to each other. And then, I don't know how many of you know Tanya and Carcel. They attended church here when we were down at the vet's hall, and then early on here, and I believe, I, I, I'm not positive, but I believe they both got saved at this church, and uh, they, they've moved away, and they have four children, and they had a son born on April 3rd who died of Sid's death yesterday, Le- so just a little over a month old, and again, absent from the body, present with the Lord, but as parents, wow, and it doesn't matter if your son is older or your son is a month old, I can't imagine just the grief that goes along with that. So before we get in the Word, let's take some time and pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you that you are the God of all comfort. We thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit not only convicts us when we sin, but comforts us in times like this. Lord, I lift up Craig's parents and his sister. I lift up the entire family to you, Lord. And I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that even now they would know your peace like never before. They would have that peace that surpasses all understanding. Would you comfort them, strengthen them, encourage them? I pray that we as a body would be a source of encouragement as well. Lord, as you would want to hug them, that, Lord, you would use our arms to be that source of encouragement. And, Lord, may we be ever mindful of just to pray for them, to come alongside them, to minister to them in any way that we can. And, Lord, for Tanya and Carcel as well, I, I can't even imagine what they're going through right now. And Lord, while we don't fully understand, we trust that you're a faithful God and you're a great God. And Lord, I just pray that you would comfort the heart of a mom and dad who don't understand why their one-month-old baby has gone to be with you. We thank you again that, that both Tristan and Craig are in your presence right now. We thank you that they will never weep again. There will be no more pain, no more sorrow. But Lord, I pray for those who've been left behind, Lord, that you would comfort and strengthen and minister to them. And again, that we would function as a body, Lord, using our gifts to minister one to another. So Lord, we just lay 
these things at your feet. And Lord, we just cry out to you and we thank you and praise you even in the midst of this because Lord, we know you're a faithful God, you're sovereign, you know what you're doing, your timing is perfect even when we don't fully understand. But Lord, we continue to give you all the praise and all the glory. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We love you guys. All right. Genesis 49. Coming near the end of Genesis. And as we come down to the end of this book, we're looking now at Jacob. And tonight we're going to see a father's final words to his precious sons. He's speaking to his sons as he nears his final moments on earth. And I thought about that occasion myself. If I could say one last thing to my children, if I knew I had only a few minutes to talk to my four, well, five, well, actually six now, my four kids, my son-in-law makes five, my grandson makes six. And what would I say? And Jacob, who is not perfect as we know, He not only shows his love for his kids and has done that, but now in his final moments, he's really going to speak empowered by the Holy Spirit because his words are going to be words that his sons need to hear. And sometimes, again, it's hard to speak those words. For those of us who are parents, we know that expressing our love goes far beyond just affection. Real agape love must also communicate not only words of blessing and encouragement, but also words of warning, exhortation, and even correction when, when necessary. And so Jacob's final words, he has a different message for each of his sons. And as he comes to this time, he's going to bless and guide them. He's going to speak prophetic truth concerning each of them. And I want us especially to notice this, that our actions of either obedience or rebellion will provide either blessings or consequences. He's going to be talking to his sons, and we're going to see that each of the 12 sons is going to get a little bit different message from their father. Because as the Lord, I, absolutely the Holy Spirit speaking through him, the way we know that is he speaks an incredible amount of prophecy, and all of it comes 100% accurate. And that's only possible if God's speaking, amen? And so now he's going to give these words and as he does, he's going to give sober warnings and encouragement to repentance for those who need correction. He's going to encourage with words of blessing and assurance to those who are walking in obedience. And he's going to have prophetic truth upon the fulfillment that would serve to further prove that his words were indeed the word of God. And when I look at this text, I think of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life and in your life. Because the Holy Spirit comforts us in times of difficulty like tonight. But he also convicts us in times of rebellion, and he'll lead and guide us and bless us as we walk in obedience. So if you're here tonight and you're a note taker, I titled the message, Faithful Words of a Loving Father. Faithful Words of a Loving Father. First, we're going to see that a loving father is faithful to pass on the truth to the next generation. Guys, we can't count on anybody else to be the ones to share the truth with our children. It's our job. It's our calling. Maybe you're here and you don't have kids, your nieces, your nephews, the other children in this church as you would serve in children's ministry, but it begins at home. And so we'll see that he faithfully passes on the truth to the next generation. Then we're going to see that he gives words of warning concerning the consequences of sin. Love loves enough, agape love, loves enough to warn that sin has consequences. 
Not just to talk about the grace of God, which we absolutely should, but also the righteous judgment of God when we go outside of his will. And so we're going to see Jacob be faithful to do that. But he was also faithful to speak words of grace and undeserved blessing to the repentant. Guys, when we repent, he greets us with grace every single time. Amen? Amen. We need to be careful that when we judge another, that we judge the way that God judges. Amen? Sometimes we can look on the sin of another and we can get self-righteous and we can not forgive when God already has forgiven. Amen? If God's forgiven them, how in the world can we not? Amen? So here's, we're going to see, because we're going to see the one he forgives, he really had blown it. But he's going to be the one through whom the, through whom the Messiah comes. Words forth, words of prophetic and uncompromised truth. We're going to see as he speaks, he doesn't compromise. He doesn't tell them what they want to hear. He tells them what they need to hear because he's simply a conduit through who Almighty God speaks. We're not doing our kids any favor to tell them what they want to hear. We need to tell them what they need to hear. Then words of blessing upon faithful obedience in the midst of trials. When we get back to Joseph, who we talked to last chapter. And then finally, faithfully ministering the word to each child individually. He doesn't have the same message for all of them. He's sensitive to the Holy Spirit and how he would minister to each and every one of them. And be careful as parents that we don't just treat all our kids the same. They need to hear the consistency of the gospel, all of them. But they're all a little bit different. I can tell you all four of my kids are very different. Very different. Love them all the same. Love them all more than they will ever know, but they're all very different. So let's begin looking at the heart, the loving, faithful words of a loving father. And we'll begin by faithfully passing on the truth to the next generation. Look at verse 1. And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Imagine the scene. Jacob, now we know that earlier he thought he was dying and he called for his son and he lived another many, many more years. But now the time has come when he's not got years or months or even days. It's down to hours. And now he calls for his sons. And while it was no doubt a comfort and a blessing to have all 12 of his boys around him, right at his time of death, especially having grieved for Joseph for over 20 years and now having had time to spend with them. He calls for his sons and he says, gather together. And it's interesting that word together there, not only gather together around me, but he talks about them coming together as brothers, to stay together, to not mingle with the Egyptians, to not forsake the assembling of themselves together. But it's also an exhortation that they should not be separated from each other as Abraham and Isaac's sons were. Remember, Abraham and Isaac both had sons who separated from each other, be it Jacob and Esau or Isaac and Ishmael. And his heart was, look, you guys are brothers. You guys have the same God whom you serve. You guys need to walk together. And he says, these are the things that shall befall you in the last days. Now, this is a prediction of what would come after he went to heaven. But guys, it's also prophecy of what would happen in some cases hundreds of years in the future and we're going to see as we go through each of them that there are things he speaks about that are more immediate but also things that he speaks about they're going to happen to their descendants even after they've died more proof yet again that the word of god is perfect 
Guys, when people want to doubt the word of God, just let's look up some prophecy. Go to almost any book in the Old Testament, well, almost any chapter, and you're going to find the prophetic truth of God's word that has been fulfilled later in Scripture. We then see in verse 2, he says, Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Listen to your father. That's a good word. Amen? Listen to your father. Proverbs 4.1 says, Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. Children should diligently listen to what their godly parents say. And now we're going to be given a detailed exhortation of each, to each of Jacob's 12 sons as now their very godly father, not their perfect father, but their godly father who is speaking to them the very words that God has shown him. He's passing it on to the next generation. He's not keeping it to himself. I can think of nothing more selfish in the world than to be born again and then keep it to ourselves. Amen? Are we asleep tonight? I know it's Wednesday. I can think of nothing more selfish than to be born again and keep it to yourself. Amen? Amen. All right, that's better. Here's the truth, guys. We have the antidote to the death serum. People all around us are dying. Most of them going to hell without Jesus Christ. We have the answer. We have the hope that lies within us. It is wrong for us to keep it to ourselves. Amen? Amen? I would hope if I had cancer and someone had a cure, they'd clue me in. Amen? And far better than a cure to cancer is a cure to eternity separated from Almighty God. So let's begin moving through the sons now. First, in his faithful words, we're going to see the words of warning concerning the coming consequences of sin. Look at verse 3. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength. Reuben means see a son. Son was born, his firstborn son. The son in whom the birthright would fall. The son in whom would get a double portion of the blessing. The son whom had the greatest opportunity to have the greatest impact on the world around him because he was the firstborn. As he says there, the beginning of my strength. He says, you're the beginning of my strength. You're the beginning of what I have to give away. God had placed him in a position of great blessing in both an opportunity to be used by God here and now and to be a blessing to the generations that follow. So Reuben, you're the one. This is my son. But now look what he says. He doesn't hold back. Last words he's saying to his son. No doubt words of love have come before. Words of endearment and affection. But now here come the words of exhortation. And here's what he says unstable as water what does that mean unstable as water what do we know about reuben reuben the oldest son was unstable and his temptation that he fell into was sexual sin and what was it he had sex with one of his father's wives there are so many things wrong with that sentence we could be here all night First of all, one of his father's wives. Don't say, oh, well, that, you know, the Bible's... No, ah, bad news, okay? Shouldn't have done that. But Reuben, when his father was away, ran through every stop sign in the world to do something extremely ungodly. The warnings came to turn back, no doubt. There was the cultural 
fact that even in those days, even amongst the ungodly, that is not something anybody should do. You don't do that. The, the respect for his father, the respect for his stepmom or his other mom, I don't know what you'd call it when you got four moms. I don't know how that works. But the point is that Reuben succumbed to temptation and he followed through with the act. And because he had, his character is described as unstable as water. Now I want you to know something here. He's not talking about a one-time action. His concern is the character that Reuben is showing in every aspect of life. This was one incident that reflected his character. You're as unstable as water. What do we know about water? Water gravitates to the lowest place, right? You pour water, it will go to wherever the lowest place is. Reuben, you gravitate to the lowest place. Reuben, you move toward that which is the most ungodly. Reuben, your character is not good. Reuben, you are not all that you could have been. Though the son of the greatest blessing and position, the heir to the birthright, Reuben would miss out. He says there, you shall not excel. Thanks, Dad. That's what I wanted to hear. Last words from Dad. You're as unstable as water, and you shall not excel. Now, are these words his father's fault? No. Guys, sin has consequences. And unrepentant sin has big-time consequences. Amen? And Reuben had gone far beyond. And because of what he had done, it would impact not only him, but the generations that would follow him. So often when we go out and we sin, and we just run through all those stop signs like Reuben had, and we choose to go contrary to God's will, and we all but shake our fists at God and say, I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care what you've done. I'm going to do it anyway. Hold on, because the consequences more than likely will go beyond just you. And especially if you are a parent, it is going to impact your children. Lord, help us to live in a way that would be a godly legacy for our kids, not bring the consequences of our sin upon them. Amen? Lord, help us. So he slept with one of his father's wives. His horrible action, just so horrific, even in their sight. And while still his son, notice he calls him, to his bedside, doesn't he? So Reuben's still his son, right? Absolutely. Guys, we can be born again and we can blow it. We don't cease to be God's children, but we can miss out on all that God has for us. Reuben could have been used in a mighty way, but because he chose sin and his flesh over God, he missed out. can't remember who said it, but he said a man can live a saved soul, have a saved soul and a wasted life. Ungodly character, unchecked fleshly desires, succumbing to sexual temptation would cost him all the privileges of the firstborn. He's unstable as water. And again, it depicts more than a one-time event, but a sin so grievous that it had, he had to run through so many things, and this is just a reflection of a deeper character flaw. You will not excel. Guys, here's the thing. No one, let me say this, if you're napping right now, wake up. No one, no one who does not control their fleshly appetites will excel in the kingdom of God. Can I say that again? Do we sin every day? What's the answer? 
But here's the difference. When you've been born again, when you sin or when you move towards sin, there's heavy conviction. And as soon as you sin, you're broken and you come back repentant before God. God is a gracious, a loving and a merciful God. Amen. But if we say, you know what? I really don't right about now. I'm going to kind of go my own way for a while. I'm going to do what I want for a while. I'm going to disregard your word. I'm going to do what I want to do. Guess what? There's no way in the world you can excel in the kingdom of God when you're living, fulfilling the appetite to your flesh. Amen? Now, I'm going to read this to you. Don't turn there because I want to keep you right where you are. We're not going to play race through the Bible tonight. When you do that, I lose people. I don't want that to happen. But you know what? One of my favorite people in the Bible, that's kind of like saying one of my favorite children. I love them all. But, you know, in the Bible, you have... Verse, these verses that you've read many times, let me just read them to you. Speaking of the Apostle Paul, here's what it says. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air. Here's the key. But I discipline my body and bring it in subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul, sometimes we look at this guy and we think, dude, you were beaten, you were mocked, you were scourged, you were thrown in prison a day and a night in the deep, and you were hungry and you know, without clothes and in cold and in heat and... Besides the things that came on you daily, he must have been a super Christian. Well, in a sense, he was a super Christian, but he's no different than you and me. He was a sinner saved by grace. It wasn't that he had some super extreme personality that none of us can match. He's just so type A. He's over the top. You know, no one can ever be like the Apostle Paul. I disagree. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one who can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. Does God want to use us just as much as he used the Apostle Paul? And now we know one of the reasons why. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of the word. He was a man of great boldness. But also, he was a man who kept his body in discipline to the word of God. Amen? So as you sit here tonight, do we believe in grace? Absolutely. Is God a forgiving God? Yes. If you're here tonight and you've been totally blowing it, the Lord loves you and he will forgive you if you will repent this evening. Amen? That being said, as Christians, should we not live holy? Both of those things are equally true. Paul was the apostle used mightily by God. And we can look at his life and all that he endured and accomplished. And we can think that it's something unattainable. But we can learn that just like he excelled in the kingdom, we too can excel if we will surrender our all to him. Amen? You're not going to excel, Reuben. Why? Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Jacob recalls his sin. You know how how much earlier this had happened? 40 years. 40 years earlier. Now again, if Reuben has repented, God has forgiven him. But sin still has consequences. Amen? And in this case, because... It was so heinous, and he walked so far away, the consequences were still there some 40 years later. We see both God's grace in that Reuben was not disowned, he's still a child, but God's judgment in that he missed out on God's blessing. 
He missed out on God's blessing. Why? Because he put his fleshly desires above being obedient to the word of God. This is a warning to all of us, especially in those in positions of leadership. Parents, employers, worship leaders, pastors. May we not do anything that would disqualify us from ministry. Amen? May we not do anything that would bring harm to the name of our Savior. So Reuben, you're not going to excel. You're going to miss out. Why? Because sin has consequences. Number two, Simeon and Levi. Having rebuked the sexual sin of Reuben, he's now going to address the anger and cruelty and violent behavior of Simeon and Levi. Verse 5, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. They were instruments of cruelty. The word there for cruelty means violence. A passionate, revengeful, fierce, and uncontrollable anger. These are fruits of the flesh, not fruits of the Spirit. Amen? Sometimes I'll talk to people, and they will even say the right things, but there's no joy. You know what I'm talking about? Someone who's a Christian, I have to be careful, all of us, we can all be in that person where we're saying things that are about the love and grace of God, but we say it from a, maybe an attitude of either arrogance or an attitude of self-righteousness or just no joy. You can say, you know, God's doing great stuff. Yeah, God's really using me. God's doing... What is that? should be, God is doing great stuff. God is so good. Amen? Here's the heart. It's the heart. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Those are fruits of the Spirit, not anger, not revenge, not bitterness. And what happened? Well, do they have a reason, at least from an outward perspective, do they have a reason to be mad? What happened? Their sister Dinah went down to see the daughters of the land. Do you remember that story? And when she went down to see the daughters of the land, didn't work out so well. This is a good warning that we shouldn't have our daughters hanging out with the world. Well, she was hanging out with the world. She wanted to go see what they did down in idol worship land. She wanted to see what they did down in the land where God was not the true and living God. And when she went down there, the prince of the land, the soon-to-be king of the land, grabs a hold of her and rapes her. His name was Shechem. Well, the word gets back. And Levi and Simeon are her full brothers. Same mom and same dad. Shouldn't have to think about that, but when you got four wives, you have to. So they were like, wait a minute. What happened? And so Jacob at the time wasn't doing anything. They didn't think he was acting fast enough. So they stepped in for dad. And they went out and met Shechem. Because Shechem sent word that he wanted to keep her as a wife. You want to talk about the ultimate insult. Yeah, I raped your sister, and how, about, how much I got to give you to keep her? Uh, not so much. So Simeon and Levi make a treaty and say, here's what we'll do. If you guys will all be circumcised, then we will intermarry with you, and you can keep our sister. But we know the story. When all the men of Shechem had been circumcised, they waited a couple days. And when all the men were lying around, writhing in pain, they went into the city and didn't just kill Shechem, the man who had raped their sister. They killed every single man in the city. And then they pillaged the city. The rest of the brothers came. Simeon and Levi, cruel, cruelty. And notice it says cruelty 
are in their dwelling place. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Here's what that means. It wasn't one action of violence and cruelty. This had become a way of life for these guys after this. They became cruel men. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's a hard one to step back and observe sometimes, isn't it? Who has a hard time defending themselves? Raise your hand. Don't you just want to drop someone like a bag of hammers once in a while? Someone just crosses over the line and you think, dude, that is so wrong. And I'll tell you what's hardest for me is when I feel like someone wrongs someone I love. That's even harder, harder than if I feel like they've wronged me. And you know what? Even then. You know who loves my family more than I do? God does. You know who's a better protector of my family than me? God is. Amen? You know what would have been a better protector of Dinah than Levi and Simeon? Almighty God. You think Almighty God might have taken care of it? Do you think he would have done a better job? Amen? Simeon and Levi instead take it into their hands. They go down there, and now they've got this attitude of cruelty and anger. And because of that, they're going to miss out on God's highest. So they go down and they slaughter them all. And now their vengeful act against Shechem wasn't their only act of violence. It's become their dwelling place. And it says there in verse 6, Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assemble, assembly. For in their anger they slew a man. And in their self-will they hum, hum, hamstrung an ox. That means they destroyed someone's property. So this is obviously evidence of even more than their violence against Shechem. But you know what? Isn't it amazing how when you, do, when you step over the line in one area of sin the first time, it's easier to do it the second? Is that true or not? The first time you think, oh, I would never do that. Oh, no way. No way. Oh, no. Then you do it once. Then it's easier to do it twice. They became violent and vengeful men after taking this place that only God should have had. They destroyed not only killing a man, they destroyed another man's property. And again, it's one thing to seek justice upon the guilty of a crime. It's another to take vengeance, to lie and make a false covenant, and then to cruelly and angrily shed the blood of the innocent. Nobody else in the city had committed this crime, but they slaughtered them nonetheless. So what's going to be the result? Verse 7. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel, so here's the consequence. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. As a result of their behavior, they would be scattered in Israel. You see Simeon and Levi always together. You look through scripture, and almost always are they together. When they get to the land, you're going to see Simeon, in, a, in short order, disappear. He's swallowed up within another tribe, the tribe of Judah. When he gets there, he's given a smaller portion of the land. And if you'll remember what happens to the Levites, they don't get any portion of the land. Do you remember that? They were scattered throughout the land. Guys, this is prophetic, isn't it? This is hundreds of years before its fulfillment. This is exactly what happened. He's speaking, and God is speaking through him. As a result of their attitudes and for their own good, they would not be allowed to band together, but we'd be scattered in Israel. And the prophecy was fulfilled. But here's what's interesting. It's fulfilled different in each brother. And I love this part and pay attention to it. Because you might be sitting here saying, okay, I've, I've been a Simeon. I've been a Reuben. It's too late. Forget it. Game over for me. I guess the miles will just quit. 
Because the consequences are coming. My life's never going to bear fruit again. It's game over. Well, guess what? Simeon, who we do not see him make a stand for God, in short order, he kind of disappears. He became the smallest of all the tribes and eventually was assimilated, as I said, into the tribe of Judah. The Levites never had an inheritance, but they were scattered throughout the land in a different way. Why? Well, if you'll remember, 48 cities were set up within the promised land, and in each of those cities, the Levites were given, it was a city of refuge, it was called, and in each of those cities, the Levites dwelt, and they served as what? The priests. What? The vengeance guys are the guys that God uses to speak to men on his behalf and to intercede with God on their behalf? How in the world is that possible? Because God is a God of grace. And also because the hearts of the Levites turned back to God. If you're here tonight and you've been Simeon or you've been Levi or you've been Reuben, turn back to God. And when did they turn back to God? In Exodus, what happened? Moses stood at the entrance of the camp. And when he came down and he saw them all worshiping the golden calf, you guys remember this? And all the, the, God's judgment was going to come upon them. It was a heinous time. And here's what he said. Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. Choose who you want to serve. You want to follow after the world, the false gods of this world. You want to stay after the false things that are happening in this camp, all the ungodliness. Or do you want to follow God? If you want to follow God, come to me. There was only one tribe where every single person came. It was the Levites. They were wicked. They had blown it. Guess what they did? They returned back unto God. And guess what happened? God not only forgave them and blessed them, but now they became those who would speak to the world on his behalf. Guys, that's our God. He takes the foolish things of the world and uses them to confound the wise. He takes those who were drug addicts in the past, those maybe even murderers like the Apostle Paul, and he turns them into mighty men and women of God. He uses prostitutes. He uses Demon-possessed women like Mary Magdalene. God is a God of grace and mercy. Amen? But the difference here is that Simeon missed out because he did not turn back. And the Levites were used by God because they did. Sometimes we can look and see the sinfulness of someone's past and think it's, it's too late. Praise God, it's not too late. Praise God, it's never too late. Amen? So the faithful words of a loving father, he faithfully passes on the truth to the next generation. Then he gives words of warning concerning the coming consequences of sin. But now the words of grace of undeserved blessing to the repentant. We're going to continue now on this avenue of repentance because now we're going to talk about the one that next to Joseph, well, maybe even more than Joseph, is blessed beyond measure. But if you look at this guy, he does not deserve it. Verse 8, Judah, you are whom your brothers shall praise. During the time when Joseph was away in Egypt becoming prince, there's only one real detailed story that we hear back where his brothers are. And the story is about Judah. And if you guys remember the story, Judah is unfaithful. Judah is not acting in a righteous or a godly way. Judah had blown it to the point where you would think he's been completely and totally disqualified. But you know what? 
Judah means praise. And God is going to use Judah in a mighty and a powerful way. God is going to be praised by him and in him. And it says there that therefore your brothers shall praise you. Your brothers shall praise you. Wait a minute. Does Judah deserve to be in that position? No. Was he a sinful man? Yes. Was he an ungodly man? Yes. He had been ungodly beyond what we can imagine. And yet in the midst of all of that, God restores this man Judah. God's a God of grace like that. And it says here, Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. His tribe would be successful in war. Guess who one of his descendants was? King David. David came through the tribe of Judah. And David is one of the mightiest warriors who ever lived. That's fulfillment of that verse, that your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah was the lawgiver, and his tribe led the caravan through the wilderness and in the conquest of Canaan. Judah would become the preeminent tribe in all of Israel. But he was an ungodly man. How is that possible? Because he was a repentant man. That's how it's possible. Guys, it's never too late, as we said. We can get right with God. God forgives us the moment we repent. Guys, we don't repent, and then he waits five years. He doesn't give us a jail sentence of time that we have to fulfill before repentance comes. It's immediate, and aren't you glad? And here Judah had repented, and God says, you know what? You've repented. I'm going to use you. You're not perfect, but I'm going to show my grace by using a man even like you. Look what it says. Judah is a lion's whelp. A lion is the what of the jungle, of the, be- king, or of the beast? He's the king, right? But then he also says, from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He, he bows down, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? His tribe would be formidable. They would be fierce. And they would be able to dwell in a place with no fear of others. Why? Because the hand of God was upon them. Guys, when we're walking with God, we have nothing to be afraid of. What is a lion afraid of when a lion's sleeping? Nothing. Right? Missing the next meal if an antelope runs by while he's asleep. Maybe that's what he's afraid of. I don't know. But he's afraid of nothing. But guess what? This is pointing to the fact that Judah would be the tribe of kings. Let's keep reading. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. A scepter is something who held? The king. The king and the lawgiver held it. So he would be a royal tribe. He's the lion. He's the scepter. He's the lawgiver. All descriptions of a king. And Judah would be the tribe of kings One of the first and most notable being David. But guess what? There's one more notable coming, right? In the tribe of Judah. Look what it says. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh is absolutely a reference without question to the Messiah. Until Shiloh comes. So here's what he's saying. The kingdom will be in his hand. The lawgiver will be in his place. From the tribe of Judah until Shiloh, the Messiah comes. Shiloh is where we get the word shalom. And that is the word for peace. And guess who brought peace? The Messiah. Who's the Prince of Peace? Jesus Christ. All of this through a man who had been ungodly, but he repented. A man who had been outside of God's will, who did disgusting things. And then God restores him. 
He was a man that fell into similar sins as Reuben, but Reuben was dealing with consequences while Judah's being blessed. What's the difference? Repentance is the difference. Isn't it interesting when you get to Revelation chapter 5, Jesus is referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Don't tell me this isn't prophetic, and don't tell me God's not speaking here. Amen? It's all perfect. It all fits together. This is a future event that's talked about in Revelation 5. But guys, it's a reference to the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, he is speaking of a time when Shiloh comes. I believe this speaks of his second coming. Because when he comes again, he's going to establish what is called the millennial kingdom on earth. We will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. And we're going to see what it's like to have Almighty God as president. Amen? As ruler, as judge. By the way, be praying. Man, it's amazing. In just a hundred short days, the house passed that it's going to be now, you know, now they're going to take it to the Senate. Be praying. God's still in control no matter what, and we're not going to change the message no matter what. But the House passed, I think it was yesterday or today, that hate crime that says if you speak out against homosexuality, you can be arrested and thrown in jail, even if you're teaching the Bible. We live in the United States of America. Is that amazing or what? And it's amazing how quickly. Tomorrow's the National Day of Prayer. How many of you knew that? How many of you knew that our president, our first president, maybe ever, is made a choice not to recognize the National Day of Prayer by anything more than a quick declaration. There's no prayer time. There's nothing. Every other president have had people come and pray. We're trying to wipe prayer away. I'm not slamming our president. Let's pray for him. Amen? Amen. We submit to the authorities God's placed over us. God's allowed him to be in office. But guys, aren't you glad God's in control? And I'm looking forward to the millennial reign because it's going to be awesome. And during that time, look what it says will happen, because here's what it says. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. What does that mean? Let me tell you what that means. The donkey, again, we know is an animal of peace. Jesus rode one in. But when you take a donkey and you bind him to a vine, you know that donkey is going to eat up every grape that he can get to. Right? You know what this is saying? When Shiloh comes, there's going to be a time of abundance like you've never seen before. The millennial reign, we're not going to be worried about the economy. Amen? We're not going to be fearful about disease. Because not only is there going to be a time of great wealth, there's going to be a time of great health. It says there also, He washed His garments in wine and His clothes in the blood of grapes. Guys, if, you're, if, water beco- if wine or grapes become as prevalent as water, as plentiful, you know everyone's going to be healthy and strong. That's what this is talking about. Guys, you read it and you think, wow. He washed his garments in wine, his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. You know what that's talking about? Jesus. But guess what? What makes us white as snow? The blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? His eyes are darker than wine. That's pointing to his shed blood. And what does it do? It makes us white as snow. Man, I love these pictures in the Old Testament. And guys, there's a day coming when he's ruling and reigning, and it won't get better than that. Praise the Lord. Judah, ungodly, repentant. 
used mightily by God. So we've seen faithfully passing on the truth to the next generation, words of warning concerning the coming of the consequences of sin, words of grace and undeserved blessing to the repentant. Did Judah deserve to hear this? What's the answer? No. Do you and I deserve to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into my rest? Do we deserve to hear that? No. But will we? Yes. Why? Because of Jesus. Because we repented and he forgave us. And the same thing happened here. Fourthly, words of prophetic and uncompromised truth. We're going to go through quite a few different sons here. Let's, let's move through it and take a look. Zebulun shall dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall adjoin Sidon. Guess what happened? And when you get to Joshua 19, some two to three hundred years later, when the land of Canaan was divided by Lot, the border of Zebulun went toward the sea. As a matter of fact, Zebulun was right between the Mediterranean and the Galilean Sea, and the traders would go back and forth through their property, and they prospered greatly because of it. And what does it say? He shall become a haven for ships. The Word of God is always right. Amen? He's speaking, and it's prophetically going to come true. Verse 14 and 15. Issachar is a strong donkey. Thanks, Dad. That's what I wanted. Strong donkey. I always wanted to be a strong donkey. Lying down between two burdens. He saw that rest was good and the land was pleasant. He He bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. Let me tell you what happened to Issachar and how this totally fits. Issachar became one of the most industrious, robust, and stalwart tribes of all the tribes. The later, later the, they lived up to their name of being called, Issachar means men of wages. They were a hard-working tribe in a very rich land, and they were extremely prosperous. But notice that last part of the verse. It says they became a band of slaves. They were so prosperous that they continued to be attacked and enslaved. Don't tell me the Bible's not on, right on time. Don't tell me the Bible doesn't know what it's talking about. Amen. Because you go back and you look at the history of Issachar and they were prosperous and they were industrious and they were hard workers and God blessed them mightily, but they also faced some hardship and they were enslaved because they were so fruitful. Verse 16. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. There were some who wondered if the sons of the concubines would be mentioned. And of course they were. Dan would be indeed a judge as one of the tribes of Israel. But keep reading. Look what it says. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites his horse's heels so that its rider shall fall backward. Dan, there's a reference. And those who go to Israel with us, Dan introduced idolatry to the children of Israel. Once they had settled in the land of Canaan, it was the tribe of Dan that brought idolatry, the bite of the serpent, into the children of Israel. As a matter of fact, if you go to Israel with us, they set up in Dan another place of worship so people wouldn't have to travel all the way down to the tabernacle or the temple later. Instead, they could just worship right where they are. They made it easy, they made it convenient, and they set up a place to false idols where they could worship, and it's in Dan. So he says here that Dan shall become 
A serpent, by the way, a viper by the path that bites a horse's heels and its rider shall fall backwards. The rider shall fall backwards. He set up two golden, they set up two golden calves, 1 Kings chapter 12, you can look it up. They set up two golden calves in Dan, and guess what happened? Israel fell backwards. Why? Because they turned their eyes off the true and living God. See, the serpent bite of Dan caused the rider, Israel, to fall backwards. Now, in the midst of all of this, this sounds like, oh no, that doesn't sound good. If you're Dan, are you pretty happy about that one? Can you imagine each son waiting for his turn? Judah got good. I was good. Judah, hey, sweet. You know, my turn. You're a donkey. Oh, I don't donkey. And, you know, but actually that's okay. And then you get to, Dan, you're going to be a judge. A judge, sweet, a judge. Oh, and a serpent. And a viper in the path. Oh, no. You're going to make the rider fall. Oh, I don't like that. Now, in the middle of all of that, here comes a word of encouragement. And again, I don't know for sure, but in the midst of his prophetic discourse to his sons, he's growing faint. He cries out, and here's what he says. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. Underline that word salvation. It's the first time it appears in the Bible. And he says, I have awaited for your salvation, O Lord. He cries out for salvation, and guess what he says? For your salvation, O Lord. Your salvation, O Yeshua. That's what he says. Yeshua transliterated Jesus. Guys, in Genesis 49, the first time the word salvation is mentioned, it's linked with Jesus' name. How perfect is the Bible? He's talking about the judgment that's coming. He talks about the harsh reality of the consequences of sin. He talks about the prophetic truth of what is coming before them. And then he cries out in the midst of it. A cry that should be a source of great encouragement to all of us. Believers die well when we know where our salvation is and who our salvation's in. It's in the person of the Lord, amen? Our salvation's in Him. Gad, a troop shall tramp upon Him, but He shall triumph at last. Gad means troop. If you remember, Gad was one of the two and a half tribes that when they get to the land of Canaan, decides to camp outside. You guys remember that? Remember, nine and a half tribes went in and two and a half tribes said, hey, you know, we've already beat everybody out here. And, uh, you know, there's more giants on that side. And, you know, we already know what's on this side. And some people that we defeated left some pretty sweet looking, uh, you know, castles or whatever to live. And let's just stay over here. And the grass looks pretty green. Let's just stay over here. And we talk about how that's the Christian who settles for less than God's highest. And it says there, there'll be a troop. They were. They were men fit for battle. They were men of war. But guess what? Settling outside the land, guess what happened? They got attacked all the time. They thought it would be easier settling for less than God's highest, and guess what? It was only worse. And he says right there in that verse, they shall tramp upon him, but he shall triumph at last. They live lives of constant battles. Why? Because they stayed outside of the land of promise. They were most susceptible to the enemy's attack. Verse 20, bread for Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. Asher's going, what? Hey, Asher, not everybody's going to be a warrior. What are you going to do? You guys are going to be the bakers, right? You know, got a lot of warriors, got somebody to make Krispy Kremes. I mean, that's your job. That's going to be your calling. Look what it says there in the text. He says, but Asher shall be rich, 
and he shall yield royal dainties. That means they're going to, pastries or something that they're able to, that are so good that they're brought into the king's house. Guys, here's the good news. God may not have called you all to, all to be warriors. God may have not called us all to things that, from the world's perspective, is the most valiant. But you know what? In God's eyes, it's all good if we obey him to do whatever he's called us to do. Amen? That's what's most important. You be faithful to your calling. So they benefited greatly from occupying the richest region north of Mount Carmel later on when it comes to fruition in Joshua. And they provided gourmet delights for the palace. You can read it in Joshua 19, just like this text says what happened hundreds of years before it did. Guys, if prophecy in the Bible doesn't get you excited, I'm going to check your pulse. Amen? Right on time. Even something like this, hundreds of years later, and here the guys from Asher are going up to the king's place and bringing them royal dainties because it says that's what would happen. I love the Bible. Verse 21. Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. Deer of speed and agility, and Naphtali's military was marked for its incredible palace. They settled in what today is known as the Golan Heights. They love the outdoors. But what's interesting, from that tribe, where it says he uses beautiful words, when you get to Judges chapter 5, there's a beautiful song, the song of Deborah and Barak. And it's just incredibly poetic, beautiful song, and they are descendants of Naphtali. And it says right here, he uses beautiful words. The Bible fits perfectly. Ought to get us excited when we keep reading that prophecy after prophecy happens exactly as he said that it would. Point number four, and we'll see one more of that point of prophetic and compromised truth in verse 27. But words of blessing upon faithful obedience in the midst of trials. Look at verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. Joseph, he'd already saw it in chapter 48 if you were here that God was going to bless him mightily. Remember, he got a double portion. Remember, they called him both his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. You remember that? And Joseph tried to line him up so he would bless the older, and he crossed his hands. Remember how God knows what he's doing. And so the, God had a double portion for them. He was going to be a fruitful bow, which is a young and well-producing tree. It says his branches run over the wall. This is a reference to the fact that his blessing would go beyond just where he dwelt. His branches run over the wall. Certainly Ephraim and Manasseh are referenced here as well. Verse 23. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. But his bow remained in strength, and his arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. For there is a shepherd, the stone of Israel. This is a reference to the trials that Joseph had endured. Beginning at the hands of his own brothers. They shot at him. They hated him. But guess what? God's hand was upon him. And these are the first two biblical references of a shepherd or a stone or a rock. Okay, let's keep reading. By the God of your Father who will help you and by the Almighty who will bless you. All four names used of God in the blessing of Jacob point to the sovereignty of his God no matter the grief, the misfortune, or the trial that might come his way. In those short verses... God is referred to as the mighty God of Jacob. He's the God who blessed his father. The shepherd, what do shepherds do? Watch over the sheep. The stone of Israel, 
or the rock. He's our sure foundation. The Almighty. Guys, He's Almighty. He's not kind of mighty. Amen? He's not sometimes mighty. He's Almighty. He's always mighty. He's all powerful. Joseph had endured great trials, but now he was going to enjoy great blessings. Guys, when we're faithful in the midst of trials, know that God, at the end of it, is going to bring about great blessing. Maybe not the kind of blessing we want, but the blessing that's going to bring glory and honor to his name. It says, with the blessings of heaven above, Almighty God will bless you with the blessings of heaven above. By the way, those are the only blessings you should want. Amen? Earthly blessings are perishing. Give me some eternal ones. Blessings of the deep that lies beneath. Blessings of the breast and the womb. This means that his people would be fruitful and multiply. Joseph was going to, his people were going to be blessed. They were going to be doubly blessed as they got a double portion once they got into the land of Canaan. We're almost done. Verse 26. The blessings of your father have excelled in the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills that shall be on the head of Joseph and the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. God's blessing had grown from generation to generation and the blessing that Jacob had experienced was going to be even greater upon Joseph. The word there to separate from is Nazar, where we get Nazarite. Joseph had been separated from his brothers. He'd been marked out for special service. And through his, his ancestors, let's talk about who some of them were. Joseph, Deborah, Samuel, Gideon, Jephthah, all of them coming from the line of Joseph, mighty men and women of God, because he was faithful. And what he said is, Jacob was blessed. You're going to be more blessed. Don't you want your children to be more on fire for God and live a more fruitful life for God than you do? Could anything be greater? I know no greater joy than know my children walk in the truth. Joseph had endured incredible trials. You know what's interesting as we finish up here? Jacob's blessing centered on two people, Joseph and Judah, right? As he's blessed, who's the, who's the blessing gone to? The greatest blessing, Joseph and Judah. But Joseph had endured incredible trials, remained faithful to God throughout the entire time he was going through difficulty. Enslaved, faithful. Thrown in prison, faithful. Falsely accused, faithful. What about Judah? He walked away from God. He married an idol worshipers, a worshiper, and he had two sons that were so wicked that God struck them down dead. Why would he be blessed? After his wife's death and he sought the comfort of a prostitute. You remember that? That's Judah. He slept with prostitutes. He married an idol worshiper. And two of his sons were so wicked they got struck down dead. And yet he and Joseph are the two that are blessed. And even more incredibly, not Joseph, but Judah would produce his line, would produce the Messiah. Why? Because God is a God of love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Amen? He forgave him. He restored him. His repentance was revealed in his desire not to see his father grieved. In Genesis 44, if you'll remember what happened, Joseph, he didn't know he wanted him to leave Benjamin. And Judah said, you know what? I'll stay in his place. And Judah knew that might mean a death penalty. You know what? You let my brother go. I'll stay in his place. Who's that a picture of? Jesus Christ. Judah repented. God could use him. Again, you might look at someone else and you think they've lived such a godly life and they've endured trials and no wonder God would use them, but he would never use me. Well, guess what? Yes, he can and yes, he will if we will simply surrender to him tonight. Amen?
Last couple of verses. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he shall devour his prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. Benjamin was a promise and a warning that the tribe of Benjamin would be bold and successful in warfare, and at the same time they would be cruel and vicious. When you get to Judges chapter 20, the Benjamites raped and murdered a Levite's wife in one of the most horrific things you'll ever see in the Bible. They were mighty men, but guess what? They fulfilled this prophecy as well in that they became those who were like ravenous wolves. And then finally it says, and we're going to finish the chapter next week because it ties into chapter 50 better. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father spoke to them. And he blessed them. He blessed each one according to his own blessing. Now, they didn't all sound like blessings, did they? But you know what he did? He was a faithful dad who spoke the truth to his children according to what God had shown them was the truth for that child. He didn't try to sweep it under the rug. He didn't try to withhold the warning. Instead, he was a faithful and godly dad to speak to each of his children. So, what do we see in these dying words? Comfort in times of difficulty. Conviction in times of rebellion, much like the Holy Spirit does for us. Leading and guiding those who walk in obedience. We also learn that sin has consequences. Because of Reuben's lust, he missed out on the birthright. Because of Simeon's anger, violence, vengeance, and lack of repentance, he lost his inheritance in the land. But we also saw God rewards the obedient in Joseph. And then we saw God's grace and blessing on those, even even though they acted wickedly, when they came to God with hearts of repentance. Judah and Levi had been wicked and were used mightily by God for one reason. They repented. Guys, it's never too late to get right with God. Amen? And when people repent, He forgives us. When we repent, He forgives us immediately. If those around you have repented, we should not judge them more harsh than God has. We should treat them with love and grace and mercy. So, for all of us, may we have words of loving fathers and mothers as we minister to our children. May we faithfully pass on the truth to the next generation. May we bring out words of warning and concern of what the consequences of sin may be. Words of grace and undeserved blessing to the repentant. Words of prophetic and uncompromised truth. Never compromise the truth to be popular with your kids. Words of blessing upon faithful obedience in the midst of trials and faithfully ministering to every child. Not according to what we think is right, but what the Word of God says. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your Word. We thank you, Lord, for Jacob's last words and how they minister to us today. We thank you, Lord, that your word is proven true yet again and again and again in tonight's text as every prophecy was fulfilled just as you said. We look forward to the prophecy that is still yet to come in its greatest fulfillment when Shiloh comes again. We know Shiloh has come. The prince has come. He died on the cross. We might have eternal life. We thank you that he's coming back, the prince of peace. Lord, I pray for each of us that we would be faithful to pass on what you have given us to the next generation. Lord, that we would intercede on behalf of our children, that we would warn them of the consequences of sin, and we would encourage them of the blessings of obedience. Lord, we just thank you. We praise you that tonight you're here in our midst, that you're a faithful God. And Lord, we do want to lift up our country to you tonight. And Lord, we pray for this vote that's coming in the Senate. And Lord, we ask that for the sake of your people, Lord, that you would move on the hearts of the senators, Lord, to do what is godly and what is right. And Lord, even if they don't, give us the boldness not to shy away or back down from the truth, but to speak it with boldness and to speak it in love. 
Lord, we lay all these things at your feet. We thank you that tomorrow is the national day of prayer. While others may not recognize it, Lord, may we be ever mindful of it all day long. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let me stand and worship.